this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Now your best shout ever. At last, Job spoke, and he cursed the day of his birth. He said, let the day of my birth be erased. In the night I was conceived, let that day be turned to darkness. Let it be lost even to God on high, and let no light shine on it. Let the darkness and utter gloom claim that day for its own. Let a black cloud overshadow it, and let the darkness terrify it. Let that night be blotted off the calendar, never again to be counted among the days of the year, never again to appear among the months. Let that night be childless. Let it have no joy. Let those who are experts at cursing, whose cursing could rouse Leviathan, curse that day. Let its morning stars remain dark. Let it hope for light, but in vain may it never see the morning light. Curse that day for failing to shut my mother's womb, Let me, uh, for letting me be born to see all this trouble. Why wasn't I born dead? Why didn't I die as I came from the womb? Why, is I laid, why was I laid on my mother's lap? Why did she nurse me at her breast? Had I died at birth, I would now be at peace. I would be asleep and at rest. Thank you, Missy. Come on, give the Lord a hand. I appreciate you. There we go. I appreciate you being here today. My sweet bride was going to be speaking today, and she's home resting up from surgery. She told me last night, she said, I just don't think I have the energy today, and so you're stuck with me. <laughs> so what I'm going to share with you came last night at about 10 o'clock, so good luck. If you don't like it, come back next week. And uh, I, I thought since I had to go so quick, I thought, why don't we just talk about Job? He's always fun, right? <laughs> and so what a, what a great redeeming way to start reading Job 3 about just wishing you'd never been born and you were dead. I figured that would just ignite the room on fire with happiness. But uh, I do want to talk to you and tell you sort of why this landed on my heart today, and I hope it'll bless you. A few days ago, I was riding into work, and I always call my parents uh, coming in, and I would encourage every kid here to do that. I just, I made a decision about 20 years ago that I never wanted them to die on the planet without me talking to them every day, so I called them every day, and I was doing that on the way in, and I said to my mom, I said, you know what's amazing? I said, you ever just think about Job and, like, all the stuff he went through and he still held on to God, that he never let go of God through all his hell, and I was talking, I said, you know, I just, I wish I had that kind of faith, and I hope I have that kind of faith that just holds on to God, never lets go of God. And I said this about Job. I said, he, he's not born again. He's not spirit-filled. He had no Bible. He had no church. He had no worship music, no favorite preacher. And yet, through life, he just held on to God and would never let go of God. And so that was kind of all week my thinking about Job. Job, over my 31 years of preaching, has probably been one of the topics that I've had to debate the most, debate about it, and 
argue about it and Job this and Job that. What do you think about Job? And then the likelihood that most people in trouble love to pick Job as their friend and like, well, you know Job and we, we talk about Job. So I thought we'd just dive in and on this topic and I'll tell you again why I picked it. So about two days ago, something happened that sort of stirred a thinking in me, and I'd like to read it to you, of a, of a dear friend of mine named Kermit. Kermit, um, been pastoring for years, and he let me know that he was diagnosed with stage four cancer, and it looked rather hopeless for him. But we were all praying and believing and standing together that he would be healed, and so on July 21st, Kermit texted me. I had it my infusion today. I feel pretty good. I'm adding immunotherapy with chemo over the next two months and then another PET scan. So then I asked him, well, how was the PET scan? He said, stomach tumor, come on, shrunk 50%. Lungs no worse and there's no new areas of growth. Glory, I said, I'll be praying for you. And then he sent two big hearts. I said, what comes to my heart, Kermit, for you is this. You don't have to keep yourself alive. You're just dirt. His spirit is your life. Because of that, you will live out the fullness of your days to completion. Thank you, he said. That's a good word. I received that as a rhema word. July 28th, a few weeks ago. Had him on my heart. Hey, my brother, how are you? Feels like this will be a good day. I'm going to run to Lowe's. Come on, must be good to go to Lowe's. Believe, believing for supernatural energy and breath. I love you. I said, I agree. He sent hearts. And two nights ago, I got that Kermit died. I called his wife yesterday when I found out he passed. And dear friend of mine, he's my age. And I thought I've known him for 30 years probably. And I'm talking to Becky. I'm talking to his daughter. She said, well, he was doing good. And I said, I thought so, like we were all chatting. She said, he said he wanted to sleep on the recliner. And so I went in and checked on him at 2 o'clock. He said, he's great. And we said, we loved each other. She said, I went back at 4 to check on him. He was fine. He said, honey, I'm fine. I love you. And she said, well, I love you. I'll see you in the morning. She said, I came back at 6 and Kermit was with Jesus. You know, and in that moment, you kind of have that, man, when it rains, it pours. Bury another friend. You're praying for healing. Healing doesn't come, obviously. But then the whole, well, Kermit's up there healed. Yeah, but Becky's down here alone. Yeah, but he's up there happy. But she's probably miserable. But he owes no bills up there. And she needs somebody to scrape her driveway. And this dilemma of life this dilemma of the thing we call life. And, and then you really, the dilemma of life is really not about doctors. They do what they can. And when a doctor says, we've done all our can, you're like, well, thanks. Maybe I'll try something else. And maybe you go nutrition. Maybe you try chemo. maybe But when God's in the mix and God doesn't, quote, do something, we're ticked. Because in reality, God can. And if he can, he should. And if he should, why won't he? And if he didn't, he must not be God. Or he's mad at me, or I've done something, or 
So anytime a human pulls God into the equation of trouble and God doesn't fix the trouble, it becomes a really weird life. Because you start thinking, well, as we said last week, well, why serve him if my wind column doesn't have a lot of winds? Why, do we, why would we even serve him? I can't even make sense of him. He didn't answer. He didn't heal Kermit. And Kermit was a preacher. And if anybody deserved it, he's preaching Jesus to people. He wasn't, quote, wasting his life. I and mean, we could fight that fight. It really doesn't matter what we tell Becky, I guess, because to her, she said, I still have to bury him on Tuesday. And she still has bills to pay, and she still has a life to live, and grandkids to raise. And so with all of that just looming, and then Robin saying, I'm really tired, I'm just, I think I need to rest more, and me sitting at home 10 o'clock at night going, well, what would be the most encouraging thing to preach to people? Job. Just the most worst dude on the planet. Throw it out there. It can't be any worse than him. And so Ryan texted me last night and said, What are we reading? And I just dove in. I didn't even know what I wanted to say. But I said, We're just going to read Job. So Job 3, just read it. It'll just make people miserable and we'll figure it out. So let's look at it and I'll tell you what I've taken from it. And I hope it blesses you. Here's Job. Let the day of my birth be erased. And, my translation, even the night my parents had sex to conceive me, I wish they would have never met. Because they brought me into this God-forsaken planet, and nobody asked me, and nobody asked if I wanted to be here, and I'm here, and all hell's falling apart. I just soon blame my mother. It's my mother's fault. Because if it hadn't been for her having me, if it hadn't been for mom having sex... With my dad, I wouldn't even be in this God-forsaken trouble I'm in. And I'd just soon get off the planet. It's my mother's fault I'm here in the trouble. Because we pick up Job 3, you might not really understand why this is so potent. Because chapters 1 and 2 tell us why he wishes he was never born. Chapters 1 and 2 are the enlightenment of a man that's trying to serve God, but he gets the news that his business has failed his business has gone under. He's lost all means of money, all means of financial uh, liquidity of his life. He has nothing. Chapter 2, all of his kids are dead. So I'm thinking, I'm okay with I get fired. I'm okay with I lost my job. I could get on government welfare and food stamps. I'm okay with you took my car and it doesn't work. I'm a human, I can get another car, I could find another job, I could buy another cow, I could get another college degree. But when they show up in chapter 2 and said, oh, P.S., all your kids are dead, it makes me as a father go, who would want to serve God when they tell you all four of my daughters are dead? Victoria, Sophia, Stella, and Livia they're dead. Aren't you glad you serve God? My answer would be, uh, yeah, no. I don't want to serve a God when my wind column is filled with losses, as I said last week. I don't want that God. So I at least can give Job a little grace that the brother has lost every kid he had. He's buried them all. He has no money, no job, no children, just mainly a mad wife who's ticked at God. 
And so he says, I just wish I'd never been born. I kind of, I may could see that, you know. I've never been there myself, but I at least give him the grace of he's having a terrible week. Next verse, ten, seven verses later. Curse that day for failing to shut my mother's womb. Again, he blames his mother. You ever thought about this? Nobody asked if you wanted to be here? Nobody. Nobody asked you permission to come on this planet. They hooked up, and whether you came by a mistake, or whether you came planned, or whether you came without a daddy or whatever, you came and you're here. And it makes me really ponder why doesn't God give babies the opportunity to pick being here? Do you want to go be born to this miserable family here? Do you want to be born to a father that's going to molest you? You want to be in that family or this family over here? Do you want to be born in this family where your father's going to be an alcoholic and be nowhere around? Hey, why don't I put you in a family where your dad's going to leave your mom, your mom's going to be a lesbian, and you're going to be screwed up? Well, why don't I put you in a family where both of your parents won't want you, so they'll give you up and you'll be born in an orphanage? Why don't I do that? As a matter of fact, why don't I put you down here sick? That'll be fun. Teach you lessons of life. Like, why isn't God up there in some weird way giving babies the opportunity to pick how they want to be on our planet? You want to be born in a, in a country with air conditioning and freedom, or you want to be born in the middle of Afghanistan to a Taliban soldier? I mean, let's choose. And so Job does what I think anybody in trouble does. I wish I was never here. I wish my mother would have never had me. And he tells us why. Because I'm on this planet and all I see is trouble. The way I was born, who I was born to, why I was born, the sickness I was born with, the family I was born into, the anxieties, the trouble. And we humans help that because we say things like, well, you've had a good life. You were born on the right side of the tracks versus the wrong side of the tracks. We try to make sense of it. But Job is just like, yeah, I don't really care. wish my mother would have had an abortion and just, I wish I'd have never been here. And the reasoning is not because he quit believing in God. The reasoning is the trouble was outweighing everything else. The trouble caused him to miss, why am I really here anyway? The trouble has got him focused on, I don't really see any hope for this. You know, scratch your head and... The next verse in chapter 3, as I was sitting on the couch last night, was this one, verse 13. Had I died at birth, I would now be at peace. In other words, the only way my life is ever going to have peace from the trouble is, I just need to go ahead and die. It's the thought that I'll never enjoy life, it just is what it is. It's that is what it is. It sucks, but it is what it is. It's a terrible marriage, but it is what it is. It's, a, it's life, it is what it is. In other words, just suck it up and just go through life sucking it up and get to do the best you can do to suck it up because the cards have been dealt you. 
You've been dealt a hand, play your hand. And so, you know, maybe you got lucky, maybe you didn't, maybe you got good parents, maybe you had none, it doesn't really matter. Welcome to planet Earth, nobody voted on it. You're here and you're in 2021, whether you like it or not, in Douglasville. Seems like God's mad at some people. You're, you're, in, you're in Douglasville, Georgia. Your life, from the eternal perspective, God thought, best place for you is on the corner of Pope and Bomar in 2021. Born to the family you've been born to. Rejected by the people that rejected you. Hurt by the people that hurt you. Gave you to parents that didn't even want you. Why would God give me to people that don't want me to put me on a planet and then I'm miserable in the trouble and the pain? Why would God put me in a home that would let this uncle molest me? Why would God put me here when my mother's going to die of cancer? Why does God put me in the God-forsaken trouble of this thing called planet Earth? I would just assume he not even put me here. I would just assume I would have never been born. And then suicide rates and depressions and life. Ugh, just the beauty of Job 3. This is hopeless. But I, I think I kind of find myself, because here's the question that popped in my heart last night and then the thought. Have you ever had it so bad you just wish you had never been born? I, my answer is no. I've had a pretty good life. I, I've never thought I just wish I wasn't here. I've had thoughts of I wish that week wouldn't have happened or this month would hurry up and finish, but I've never been to the place of just so bad I wish I'd never been born. However, in 31 years of pastoring, I've had many, many conversations with people where the trouble is overriding the the, the beauty of life. And it really is so bad, I just don't think I can go on. I can't go on with this marriage. I can't go on with life. I can't, I just can't, I can't go on with God. I, I just don't get it. And so I will say the litany of names that would fill that wall are pretty wide. Here's my thought last night. Overcoming the troubles in the first half of life brings the beauty of the second half. It was the old people that said yes. Because those of us that are older realize the older you get, life does have a story to tell. And most of us old have felt the troubles of the first half of our life. The pains and the sorrows and the hurts and the disappointments and but somehow press through it all to say on the other side of the half, there's the beauty of life. I became a stronger person. I, I've helped other people. I've, I've seen there's a meaning higher than the trouble that I got stuck in. But what it does tell me, though, is that there is the second half of life. And that's what I want to talk about, the second half of life. Now, here's the thing about this. It would be easy, and I said this of myself when I turned 50. So six years ago, I turned 50. And when I turned 50, I made a comment to my children. I said, well, Dad's passing second base. I'm hoping to make 100. So if I'm going to make 100, I'm at second base, I'm rounding second. And I had a moment in my life at age 50 where I thought, dude, I'm at second base. Like my life, if I live to be 100, is halfway over. 
And on that day, I went and got a journal. And from that day until last night, I thought I want the second half of my life to be meaningful and not wasteful. I don't want to waste my life on anxieties and troubles and chasing money and fears. And So I had a moment of, I want the next half of Mark's life to be different and better than the first half. Lots of regrets in the first half and things I wish I could have, should have, would have. But So I started journaling and for my kids, I've got six, seven books now because I journal every day of my life for my kids. Because I thought when I die, I want them to look back and go, man, my daddy led a boring life. He ate Mexican on Monday, oh, and Tuesday, oh, God, Wednesday. (laughs) But the assumption to that is we're all going to live to be old people. And yet Kermit didn't make it, so Kermit's second base was about age 28. My wife Monica didn't make it, so her half-life was age 11. I wonder if Monica at age 11 thought my life's half over. I better get busy. I'm going to be gone at 22. You see, nobody really thinks, even though God numbers our days, we often wonder, am I already halfway through? Is there somebody in here that's 13 that's halfway through with life? Or is there this long life where we're all going to make 100 or no disease or no tragedy or no trouble? I wish we could just label it. All of us in the room are going to live to be 120 years old like Moses. Half of my life. So here's what I would say. I don't know when you're second base. I don't know when you're going to round second because I don't know when your death will be. But I would like to say, are you going to live most of your life focused on the trouble of life or are you going to live the second half? So when I say second half, what I'd like to say is I'm not talking about your age because there's no way we could know what the second half of your life would look like because we don't know the age at which you will leave this planet. But when I say the second half of your life, I mean the half of your life after you come into a knowledge of who God is for you. The first half of your life without God is filled with troubles and heartaches and stories and regrets. But the moment you say, I believe in Jesus, that becomes the second half of your life, that born-again life, that life that has to deal with life still but in a different way because now I have a father. Now Now I have somebody that is for me and not against me who goes before me and within me and behind me. We just sang the song. It's the second half of my life. It's the way I view trouble now that God is on my side. It's the way that I view life now that I know He's fighting for me and not against me. It's when I wake up and I still have a problem, but I'm okay because I know my God has a promise. And I, and I live the second half of my life differently than the first half. It's not because I'm I'm dumb to think there will be no more trouble because God's now for me. It's just now that when trouble comes, I realize there's a different perspective on how I will focus on that trouble versus how I used to. And so that last night was just rolling, rolling, rolling through me. And so here's a scripture that I think is interesting. I turned to Job 42 because most people never read all 42 chapters. It's too depressing. You get five chapters in, you're like, dude, I need to get over the gospel of John or something. Like, Like, it's just depressing when you read it. It's just his wife's mad, he's mad, his friends are mad. I mean, it's just 40 chapters of mad people. 
trying to figure out trouble from a human perspective. But in verse four, chapter 42, if you ever even have the boldness to get there, chapter 42 says this about Job, the cursed, sorry, no good guy filled with trouble who wishes he was dead. So the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life even more than in the beginning. I rarely hear people talk about this guy. I always hear him talk about the dude who's got boils and troubles and sorrows and dead kids and lost his job. They like to identify with the Job that suffers. I just don't want to identify with the Job that no longer is suffering because God has blessed the second half of his life far greater than the first. And then I'm like, wait a minute. More than the beginning? I don't even read where he was blessed in the beginning. The whole book starts off with him being cursed. Until you realize, wait, he's on planet earth. He's been given breath. He has a wife. He has children. He has a job. The brother's blessed. Now we get about five verses in of a blessing before all hell breaks loose. But in the beginning, Job was a blessed man before the troubles came and took away his feeling of being blessed and his feeling that God may be against him and his feeling that it's not even worth being alive and his feeling that I wish I was just dead and his feeling that I wish I would never have been born and his feeling that it's his mother's fault. But by the end of the book, God says, well, I'm going to tell you something because I'm going to bless you double and if you read the story of Job, in the end, he gets back everything he lost. He gets back double the kids, double the money. Everything is doubled. It's the weirdest book ever. It's just nobody talks about the Job who's doubly blessed. We only talk about the Job who's just filled with misery. Because there's something about the human psyche that just revels in misery. Whether it's a friend, a problem, a relationship, or God, it's just very hard to reconcile that there's a second half to my life where if I'll stay in the game with God, my life is going to end blessed, even though right now I see no way it could. I don't know how my granddaughter is going to be there. I don't know how my daughter, I don't know how my, I don't know, but I know if I'll stay in the game with God, the end result is I'm going to be more blessed. So I brought this thought to that scripture. If you're not careful in life, you will get stuck on trouble and blind to the beauty. You'll just, I guess here's the best way I can define it. My sweet bride and I, every Friday night, drive to Atlanta to go on a date. You ask, why in God's name would you go to Atlanta? Because it's the furthest place from my children. No, I mean, to be honest, I just love, when you have four daughters and a grandkid and dogs, mom's time is very divided. From laundries to kids to cheer to crying to listening to working a job here to, and there's a part of me that I just like her to myself. And so once a week, we drive into Atlanta and... We sit at this quaint restaurant, and we go every Friday, so when we walk in the door, they already know we're here. They're like, well, hey, Mark and Robin, we have your table. And they have us a nice, quaint table by the windows in this house, a two-seat table with a candle. 
Before we even sit down, they bring our drinks because they already know what we're going to order. They even walk up and say, the usual. And I sit across a table for about two to three hours at a table in the middle of midtown Atlanta with me and my sweet bride. We don't fix anything, text anybody, talk to anybody. We just look at each other and enjoy life. And then get one dessert because it's cheaper and she draws a line in the middle so I won't eat on her side. Because <laughs> she says, you eat sloppy and I like to eat neat. <laughs> She's right. However, on the ride every Friday, because it's in Atlanta, we're headed into Atlanta about 5.30 to 7 every Friday, depending on a reservation. And my God, why can't people learn to drive? It's every blooming Friday. And it starts welling up in me like the Tasmanian devil. I cross Thornton Road and I can feel it stirring. I hit Six Flags 285 and I'm thinking, why do they give people license? There's always a wreck, and there almost every time we've gone over the last year, there's a wreck. Somebody on 75, 85 is wrecked, 285 is wrecked, 20 wrecked. And Mark, godly man as I am, everything in me is just like, God, why don't people learn to drive? Ah, there's six lanes of traffic. I don't say that because I'm too kind. But inside, there's this human saying that. There's that Tasmanian devil, just learn to drive. Now, sitting beside me, who can feel the tension, is my bride, who says, Honey, just relax. I am relaxed. This is relaxed. You don't want to see me not relaxed. Like, now that's not coming out, it's all internal. Because what's coming out is, I don't even say anything because I'm just trying to be a godly man, but my internal organs are just, I'm wanting to bump into people, honk the horn. I did honk the horn one time. I went, I'm in a Kia Soul, so right there, yeah. So I'm like, ah, people are, fume, fume. and so I'm like, and she looks at me, what are you doing? I said, honking at people. My God, don't you honk. I don't want to get shot. <laughs> so now I'm like, I can't even honk at people. I just want to honk at them. Like, that's going to do something, right? So, so imagine beautiful date night, calm, peaceful, romantic table, candlelight, two hours of just a wife and a husband, no texting, no fixing anybody, just no underwear to be folded, just us and just quiet and peaceful but getting there is torment. Traffic jams and Google asking me, do you want to reroute? you want to reroute? No! I want to go on I-20! Like just... Uh. And so it becomes amazing to me how the traffic on I-20, thinking of the table in front of me, has caused me to miss the beautiful woman beside me. Because the traffic in front of me has caused me to miss the beauty of the person I'm journeying with. And that just really makes what life's about is that trouble often makes us miss the beauty that's right beside us. Because it's so frustrating. 
and you have no idea the trouble that happened to me. My father left me. My mother did this to me. My uncle did this to me. My boss did that to me. So much trouble in front of me that I miss the beauty. You don't know what this man did to me. So much anger toward men that I don't even like men anymore. The marriage went so bad I don't even appreciate marriage anymore. My last church did me so wrong I don't even appreciate church anymore. I just, everything's a problem. I, I can't even see the beauty in going to church because I was so hurt by church. I can't even see the beauty in having a pastor because I was so manipulated by a pastor. I can't even see the beauty of marriage because I was so done wrong by my wife. I can't even see the beauty of just living with this person that irritates me because the irritation has robbed me of the beauty of the person that's willing to live with me without killing me. It's just that that's pretty much just life. It's, it's trouble that blinds us to the beauty. You just miss it. You're sitting next to somebody right now who chose to marry you and they know all your garbage, but they're still with you. They haven't left you and you've done them wrong. And, you've, and you can either focus on the trouble or you can focus on, hey, we're still together. The trouble blinds you to the beauty. Robin had a mastectomy last year and when they took her breast off and she has tubes coming everywhere and we were both getting ready one morning and she was shirtless and she was looking at the scars and the tubes and the and I was only we have two sinks I was at my sink and she was at hers and I was getting ready to come to work and she she was looking at the breast that's gone and the scars and she said did you ever think I'd look like this and it's not like, man, you're backed in a corner, right? Yeah, I figured you would. I was waiting on a day. You look just like, what, what kind of, why do you want me to answer this, right? So men, be careful how you answer. So she's like, did you ever think I would look like this? And, and I looked over, and I'm looking at her. Now she's looking at the scars and the tubes and the, I know what she's talking about. But beyond the scar and beyond the tubes, she always says to me when we talk about why we, what we saw in each other, I always say, you just have the prettiest nose, like it's perfect. And then she says, that's because a doctor did it. Because she broke it as a kid and they reformed it. She's got this gorgeous, perfect nose. And your beautiful green eyes. And your little, when you say your S's, your lips go this way. S, S. I love that. I love the fact that you kiss well. I love the fact that you have short hair. I love the fact that you, you're a strong woman. Now she's focused on the tubes and the scars and I'm focused on the beauty beyond it. But we all know when you're the one looking in the mirror, it's hard to appreciate the lisp or the nose or the eyes or the hair or the good life, the children, the home, the, because all you see is the scar. So I just said in that moment, I was getting rest, I just lifted up my shirt and said, do you ever think you'd marry this? <laughs> and she, she looked over at me and said, no, I didn't. <laughs> I said that to say that sometimes in the middle of all trouble, you can find beauty if you look hard enough. Sometimes in the middle of traffic where you want to scream, sitting two feet away is somebody that's a soulmate. Sometimes at the job you can't stand is a paycheck that's going to give you enough money to bless somebody with a meal. You just have to learn how to press beyond 
the troubles to get to the point to where it says, but God blessed the second half of his life. And most people get stuck on the trouble. And even if you try to tell them there's beauty beyond it, they just can't see it. I only see the scars and the pain. And I want to know why God put me on this God-forsaken planet. So in thinking that through last night and wanting to bring something to the table that would be meaningful, I thought I would bring to the table a thought of, do you believe that you could see the beauty beyond the trouble? So let's look at a scripture. After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Tenemite, I'm angry with you and your two friends. Now here's something interesting. For you've not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. In other words, the book of Job that we love to read, and we talk about all the stuff of Job, God even says that not one thing they said about me is accurate. There is a whole book of the Bible that talks about God and God says nothing they said about me is accurate. But I let them put it in there anyway to let you know I'm not intimidated by people who say inaccurate things about me. Because if you'll study about me, you'll know that what they said was inaccurate. But if you don't and you only focus on trouble, you will think Job's friends are brilliantly talking about a God they know. And so in the middle of trouble, God says, I'm kind of angry because in your trouble, you've kind of mischaracterized me. And so I wrote this down, how to see beauty beyond the trouble. You need to be careful the advice you take on life. Good advice may not be God advice. And I've noticed that a lot of times when we're in trouble, birds of a feather flock together. And we hang out with troubled people who see trouble and we never see the beauty. I often encourage myself that when I find I'm in a troubled place, I have several people I call. I will call my mother. I will call Chris Redmond. And that's about it. My mother will wear me out like only a mother can do, and Chris Redmond will wear me out like only Chris Redmond can do. I said that to say, not that I don't have a lot of friends that I don't call, but I said that, that I'm not looking for pity when I'm in trouble. I'm looking for somebody that can push me to the beauty that there's something beyond it. I don't need somebody to pat me on the back to tell me it's going to be okay. I, I think I know that. I need somebody that's going to kick me in the hind end to keep trusting the Lord in the middle of the trouble and not throw in the towel and not throw a pity party and not start wishing I'd never been born and not start wondering why I even pastor anyway and not getting caught up in the money and the this and the that's and the this but somebody that just says, man, you're called to God. Keep doing what you do. Give the devil hell and don't ever slow down. And I'm like, thank you. That's what I needed to hear. Right? So be careful the advice because I've gotten some terrible advice from people who meant well but they were more focused on the trouble than my beauty. So if you get advice, get people who give you the beauty and not just the trouble. Who can help you press on to what you need. Here's the next scripture. And the Lord said to Job, so after he rebuked the friends, he says to Job, do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You're God's critic but do you have the answers? You know it's interesting when God asks you if you want to argue. You're going to lose. 
And he says, you want to argue with me? Mark, you don't like the family I put you in to be born? You want to argue about it? You don't like the fact that you don't think I was there when your uncle molested you and you're ticked at me because I somehow did this to you? You want to argue? We can argue if you want to argue. But when we're done arguing, nothing has changed. Except you may feel better being my critic. Because one thing I know about Christians who are in trouble, we are great at criticizing God. Where was he when I needed him? Why didn't he answer my prayer? I want answers. I think I'm entitled to answers. And God says, you want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Do you think God's entitled to give you answers? Why did God put me in this family? Why did he put me in all this trouble? Why did he put me on this planet? Because you're focused on the trouble rather than the beauty of what God is going to do with your life. You're focused on what happened to me rather than what God can do with me through that hell I went through because there's other people that need the hope that I will find. Because there's other people who have been molested. There's other people who've buried kids. There's other people who've lost their marriage. And I've held on with God so long that I'm here to tell you through every bit of trouble in hell, there is beauty on the other side of it. And now I become a voice of hope. I become the light of the world. I become the salt of the earth because I'm not God's critic anymore. I'm his kid. And one thing I know about Christianity, you have two options in life. You're, you either focus on the trouble and become the critic, or you focus on the beauty and become the kid. You will either be a critic or a kid, and it's up to you on which you want to be while you're on planet Earth. Because everybody in this room has enough trouble to be a pretty doggone good critic. Let me tell you what I've been through. Let me tell you what God didn't do. Let me tell you how he let me down. Let me, right? And we just have a wall full of that stuff. Or we back up and go, you know, dude, that's the first half of my life. I'm on a revelation now of beauty and not trouble. So I'm not ignoring the trouble. I'm just here to tell you that I'm not God's critic. I'm God's kid. And if I'm God's kid and not his critic, I'm not focused on trouble. I'm focused on the beauty. Hang out with me long enough and you will see that my life will be a testimony that it pays to serve God because everything the devil took from me he's going to have to bring back. And I'm going to die old and full of years and life and joy and have zero regrets that I chose to do life the way God wanted me to do it. And I think what we see in our generation right now is a beautiful testament of believers where some are critics and some are kids. And we wrestle with it because we don't have answers. Because I want answers and the only way I can trust Him is if He gives me answers. So here's the beauty of it. Don't get critical of God when things aren't going right for you. And that's easy. It's easy because if he's God, he's big enough to fix the trouble, so I should never have the trouble. And if I have the trouble, then maybe he's not God because if he could, he would, and he didn't, so therefore critic. Versus he could, but he didn't, and I don't know why, but he could, and he should have, but he didn't, but I don't know, but yeah, I'm still his kid. It's going to turn out good for me anyway. You just hang in there long enough, it's going to come out over here, and you're going to say, man, that boy's blessed. And I tell myself that often as I go to bed itching a rash. I'm waking up blessed. 
This thing is cursed off my body, has no right to me, no privilege to me, no power over me because I'm focused on what God can do versus the trouble I'm in. It's a training. The final one is this. Here's the scripture. And Job replied to the Lord, I know you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? In other words, this is Mark's translation. Job, dude, quit being stupid. You're looking at all the trouble you're in and you've just turned stupid because in the middle of your trouble, you've become my critic and you think that I'm not on your side. And Job, that's just ignorance. And then Job says, well, it's me. That's my fault. I was just talking about things I knew nothing about. You see, sometimes in the middle of trouble when we're trying to figure it out, because there's an eternal God who's already in the future, He's working things out that are just too wonderful for you to even fathom. Had you told me on May 20th when I'm burying my wife that was killed by a drunk driver that there was another wife named Robin and four beautiful daughters, I would have looked you in the face and said, you're stupid. Why do you even think I care about another woman? I've just put my wife in the grave. How could you be talking about a wife when I just buried a wife? And what do you mean four beautiful girls that are going to be my, the, the apple of my eye? And what do you even, you're just stupid. Do you understand there's just some knowledge that God will never give you in the moment of trouble because you couldn't handle it? God's not going to show up at the burial of Monica to prophesy Robin and four daughters. Because he's smart enough to know that's stupid. But he also is working a wonderful plan. And all he needs me to do, son, don't get stuck on this tombstone. I need you to get off that trouble and keep moving with me. And if you will keep moving with me, the latter half of your life will far outweigh the first half of your life. And I'm 31 years removed from the tomb of my wife, Monica. And I will tell you, God has rewarded me greatly because I have followed him. I could have never chosen a better life for myself. But in the moment of the trouble, I couldn't see that beauty. I just had to keep moving. If you ask me, would you go back and redo your life? The answer is no. Because through all the trouble I've seen in my life, I know that if I can stay on the planet and trust Him, the beauty's going to far outweigh the trouble. Things too wonderful for me. Some of you are in a troubled situation right now. You want answers. And God's like, if I give you answers, you couldn't even fathom it. Why don't you just keep trusting me? Because I'm working something wonderful here. No, the tomb is not the wonderful thing. The wreck, the trouble's not wonderful. I'm working something wonderful. Here's the thought. Are you willing to believe that things are happening too wonderful for you to fathom that are in your favor? In the middle of the trouble, can you believe that God's up to something wonderful? Well, I don't see it. I don't smell it. I don't know how. I know you don't. But he is working something too wonderful. But my humanity just wants answers. I know. 
But if you'll give him time, he's working something wonderful. And you'll never regret it if you'll just stick with me and trust me. And so you unfocus from the trouble. You unfocus from the poutings and the pity parties. And you begin to say, okay, well, I'm just going to believe God's going to do something wonderful. I don't know how. I don't know when. But I'm just going to keep trusting. And then suddenly your life becomes a story. Your life becomes a testimony. And you realize that other people need what you have. And other people need your hope. And other people need your life. And, and you're looking back going, I would have never wanted that. But yeah, but he's working something beautiful. Here's the scripture. It's a strange one. Rarely is it talked about. Job lived 140 years after this. And he lived to see four generations of his children and his grandchildren. Then he died. In chapter 3, when he's buried all his kids, he's wishing he was dead. In chapter 3, when he's lost everything, he's wishing he was dead. He's wishing he would have never been born. But God shows us if you'll get over the trouble and you'll focus on the beauty that I am a God that's going to work something for you that's so wonderful you couldn't fathom it, there's another 140 years. Think of how depressing this would have been in chapter 3. <laughs> my life's miserable. I wish I would have never been born. I can't believe my mother had me. God, it's, I buried all my children, seven kids. I've lost my job. God, help me. Please talk to me. Okay, here. Uh, listen, pay attention. I know you're miserable. You're going to live another 140 years, bro, so just deal with it. What? I'm in, I'm in chapter 3 wishing I was dead, and you're telling me I got 140 more years of this hell? I want you to get me off the planet now. No, bro. See, this thing's so wonderful, it's going to take me about 140 years to work it out. Do you want to stick with me or you want to sit here and pout the whole time? You see, there's no way Job would appreciate it 140 more years of his life when he's focused on the trouble. And he couldn't have handled, hey, but I'm going to give you grandchildren and children and children upon children's children when he just buried seven of them. It's, it's an answer that's just too wonderful to even fathom. Because when you've buried seven kids or more, you're not thinking, I can't wait to have more. You're thinking, I'll never have another. It's not worth the pain. So one thing I know about trouble, if you'll just keep moving past it one day at a time, trusting God, here's the end of Job's life that rarely do people talk about. He lived to see four more generations of children and grandchildren and he died with a long, full life. He didn't die ripped off, ticked off, mad, wishing he would never been born. He died with children, great-grandchildren, grandchildren around him. At 140 years old, his testimony was, I now see the beauty of life. Here's the conclusion. What are you living to see? A long, full life or a long life of more trouble? Where are you focused today? What's happened to you and why? Or, I don't know, but I know there's a long, full life for me. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, today, I thank you for life. Now, here's what I'd like you to just ponder this morning.
I wish I could tell you when you believe in God, you can have a trouble-free life. But I can tell you when you believe in God, you can have a beautiful life. And there may be trouble along the way, but if you'll stick it out with Him, you can have a full, long, beautiful life where every regret, every sorrow, every pity party, if you'll learn to refocus and realize that right now it might just be too wonderful for you to even grab a hold of. But if you won't throw in the towel and you won't become God's critic and you won't keep demanding answers, but you'll simply just stay in the game. And you'll focus on, well... I know he's going to work something wonderful from this mess. I believe joy can come back to your heart. If you'll stop focusing on the misery in the marriage and start focusing on the beauty of what God has given you sitting right beside you. Quit focusing on the scar. Quit focusing on the problem alone. There's beauty right beside you. To the young person that's been born maybe into a home that neglect or hurt or abandonment or rejection or you want to let that be the story you hold the whole life or that even in the middle of that God can work something beautiful. And it was no mistake of what God is going to do in you. You want to get stuck on what happened to you? and who hurt you and spend your whole life trying to find an answer critical or would you just say you know what I don't have answers I don't know why the evil was done to me or the trouble happened to me but I'm going to trust God and I'm going to believe he's going to make something beautiful out of my life and I'm going to die old, happy and fulfilled because I trusted God and I thank you for that would you stand up with me, if you will? Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message.